Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. This week, we just have one guest for you. She's the woman who took on the BBC over pay and won and changed what the equal pay debate means for all of us. It's Carrie Gracie. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Now, if you listen to the show regularly, you'll know that we like to talk about the pay gap and how we change it. Um, and anyone who wants to question what the pay gap is, it's why women are earning, on average, less than men. We've been through this before. You know now, people. <laughs> Come on. Um, and one of our absolute heroines fighting this battle for us is a BBC editor, presenter, all-round absolute badass, Carrie Gracie. Hello, welcome to the studio. Woo! Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Standing ovation, standing ovation. So, Carrie... Back in January 2018, you essentially became probably the most high-profile, unequal pay case mm. out there. What made you decide to go public with it? Uh, we had been fighting, trying to talk reason to our bosses, and that was a lot of us by then, um, women at the BBC, because I was one of many. And we'd been trying to make a reason argument, talk sense, talk about the values of the BBC plus the law. Mm. Um, and we weren't getting anywhere. And just got to the point where I thought, do you know what? If you think about history, how many times in a big fight over power, money, status have men given women or bosses, powerful people given women things without them having to fight it. I think at the end of the day, you have to work out where your power lies and use it because making a reasoned argument is not going to win in those mm, circumstances. Yeah. So I decided, look, I'm at that point, I was 55 years old. I've got a body of work. No one can take that away from me. I've got a lot of credibility with my colleagues because I've been there for 30 years. Probably if anyone's going to do this, I've paid off a lot of my mortgage. My kids are reaching adulthood. If anyone's going to take this risk and go up over the top in this public way, um, I can do this thing. Mm. So for anyone who isn't aware of your case, set the scene of what was happening. So the BBC is nearly a century old. And like um, many organisations and workplaces, I don't have to tell you, I don't have to tell your listeners, it's got a gender pay gap. Um, it's fair to say about the BBC that its gender pay gap is actually 
smaller than most other media organisations. It's got a lot of women in high-profile jobs, fierce and outspoken women, uh, to its credit. And in a way, that was the problem. It had put enough women into, or, or not enough, but put some women into high-profile roles. But then it hadn't played them equally. Mm. And, and on the... A weird thing happened because it is a public service broadcaster and because Parliament was getting fed up and the government was getting fed up with um, the pay of senior managers and senior stars at the BBC and got to the point where in 2017 the BBC was forced to publish the pay that was higher than the Prime Minister. So it came out along with the annual report on the 19th of July. I don't think anyone involved expected events to happen in the way that they did because women just looked at it and went... Oh, my word, I'm doing the same job as him. And I've been told for years that I was paid equally or roughly equally, and I'm clearly not. So what on earth is going on? And I was one of those women to whom that happened. And I suppose in my case, there was a... I mean, everyone's got an individual bit of their pay story, haven't they? There's some things that are structural and affect all of us, and then there are some things that are individual. And in my case... I had been sent off to China four years earlier to do this really quite hard job, in my yeah. view. Spoke Chinese, had been, you know, in and out of China for 30 years by that stage. I was in a field of about one in terms of people who could do the job that I was doing as the BBC's first China editor. And at the point that I was appointed, I said, look, if you want me to do this job, because I, I didn't actually apply for it. And in fact, I had turned it down and they kept pushing. And I said, if you want me to do this job, I have a couple of conditions. And one of the, them is that you pay me equally mm. because it is a big job. I One of the reasons I'm going to do it is because I want women to be seen doing big on-air reporter roles, yeah. just like the men. And therefore, you are going to pay me equally. And um, so four years later, when I turned around and discovered that the North America editor was being paid possibly nearly twice as much as me. He was in that band that was between 200 and 250,000. I was earning 134,000. It's a lot of money. I had no problem with my salary, but I really did have a problem with the inequality. Yes. And I think that's such an interesting thing about your case, which is I remember reading about it and you were like, no, I am not interested in the money. This is not about you paying me more. This is about you paying me equally yeah. for the job I'm doing. And I think so often when women talk about the pay gap, like, oh, women here, it's just, you just want a bit more money. Just, and it's actually, we really don't. I really don't want more money. I just want to be paid equally. So it's, it's, you make a really good point because it, it was quite complex. It is complex. Across the BBC, there are... Um, there are some people who are high profile and yeah. naturally the media focuses on them, you know, the big name presenters, yeah. and they are earning a lot of money and it is a public service broadcaster. And it's easy for the media to focus on them because it wants to talk about the big names and it's easy for the enemies and kind of backlash lobby to want to talk about them because they go, oh, they're just spoilt princesses, they're ungrateful, yeah. people in public service shouldn't be earning so much anyway. And... That kind of muddies the argument because actually we were fighting for the hundreds of thousands of women in the BBC yeah. who are mm. don't have the profile and are often on, you know, 22,000, 23,000, you know, they're not earning a lot of money and they're being paid less than a man. And the point needed to be made that this was an argument about principle. And what was the response when you went to your boss and said, I've seen these, let's have a chat about principle? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's kind of hard for bosses because yeah. I, I, and I think in this, the BBC is just like workplaces across yeah. this country and across this world. 
bosses, and obviously a lot of bosses are men, not all, but bosses I see as like ostriches with their head in the sand and a big Jenga tower on their back when it comes yeah. to pay. And their, their pay structures are incredibly vulnerable often because they literally have not been done with criteria of fairness, value, the law, actually in mind uh, they're, they're, because they never expect to have to explain them yeah. um they which is one of the problems that i have with pay in our country is it's so taboo mm. and the secrecy around it and the difficulty of establishing the facts of your pay are so great um that women find it very hard to argue with bosses because bosses will just say yeah you're paid about equally and how are you ever going to find out that yeah. that's not true? So when we started the conversation, um, the immediate response, I think, of the of our boss class was to was to think, oh, we got this. You know, we've been you know, we, we've dealt with women on pay issues before. Get them in a corner, divide and rule them, get them down in a silo with an equal pay grievance or whatever it is or a pay complaint. Tell them all these explanations. We've got a whole list of them. We've rolled them out year after year, <laughs> decade after decade. He's got more experience than you. You're in development. We're promoting him for potential. It's a legacy issue. You know, the, the excuses are endless and they never expect that you're going to have any comeback. And I think what was different about our case, the women at the BBC who came to get together to form this group, BBC Women, was we just go, no, no. Mm. You know, we're done with all of this. We're all going to exchange information. So we all knew the justifications that were being offered to other women. And that meant we could see that in one situation, profile was, um, you know, w was valuable when my man had the profile. If a woman had the profile, it was less valuable. Yeah. When a man had experience or a certain kind of experience, yeah. then experience was valuable. When a man has skills, when a man had whatever. So it was like apples are worth this amount, i.e. a lot when a man is an apple and worth less if a woman is an apple, and oranges are worth more if the man is the orange. So it's like, in other words, there was a gender problem in our view. There was inconsistency about the criteria used. And by mapping it, which we slowly, patiently, and very determinedly did over months, we could see that there really was a problem. And we could also see, as the months went past, that our bosses were just not prepared to, you know, reboot the system, which is what we were demanding. So the thing that stands out for me in that story, and it, it, I remember it at the time, but it's more poignant when you say it, is the togetherness. Mm. Because they've been able to get away with it year after year because they broke you down into individuals. And as an individual, you don't have a voice to say this is wrong. But the togetherness, um, and maybe was the togetherness a, a symptom of the time? Did it, did it feel right to come together versus saying, actually, I'm going to fight you know, by myself or, or not say anything? So... Yes, I mean, you've got to remember the moment at which this happened is also the Me Too moment. Mm, yeah. And one of the things, so there were a lot of things that were reminiscent for us in that moment, because if you think about that, that also was a story where the Hollywood stars got a lot of the focus. But actually, what was incredibly powerful about that story was it rolled through every workplace, mm. every country, every pay grade, and women could start to see a pattern. They could see a pattern in the abuse, which was, well, about all kinds of things that we probably don't have time to get into. But it was also about the ways that workplaces tried to close them down, mm -hmm. had tried to close them down. The silence that had been posed, imposed through confidentiality clauses, mm -hmm. non-disclosure agreements. And we knew that that had happened 
on pay, on equal pay issues in our organisation and in other workplaces. So we knew we had to come together um, in order to fight it. There was no other way. However, um, you know, workplaces are really determined not to let you fight together. Mm. So they wouldn't allow a group grievance, which the National Union of Journalists tried to mount on behalf of a lot of these women, over 100 women, they just, just wouldn't tolerate it. So all the cases were broken down one by one, one by one. And we all had to go into our pay uh, negotiations and then our grievances um, on our own. You could take one person with you. Mm. So, I mean, it was powerful when senior, you know, the top names that you're familiar with, you know, in BBC Radio, yeah. Entertainment, Sport News, go walking into a room with a junior producer and you could see the manager go pale yeah. and the HR person tremble at the knees when they saw, like, a really big-name, fierce female <laughs> presenter going in along somebody... Um, junior and we were making the point no woman left behind yeah. this is a team effort and we are still making that point day in day out and it is a slog and I would like to say it is too long that women have been doing unpaid work on this yeah. to assert the value of their work I mean it's a black joke isn't yeah. it that's a, that this is happening still how, what, what were the men uh, the men's responses when they found out because you know it's a very comfortable position you're a man you're being paid double than somebody else it's a you know how were they in terms of speaking out and supporting what you're yeah. doing or not? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. That's the whole of chapter nine in my book is about the men. And it's quite difficult for me because I actually had to be quite frontal about criticising some men in this in my story and in, in, in the BBC story. And I... Um, what happened early on, and, and again, I go through this earlier in the book, um, is that some men tried to engage with the issue and tried to help. And then other, man, other men, senior men I'm talking about now, at the very beginning when 44 senior women, news, entertainment, sport, wrote an open letter to the director general and said, you know, you need to sort this out. And um, there were one or two men, senior men, who wanted to get a men's letter together. Uh, I've written about this in chapter one of the book, actually. Um, and then the other men, a lot of them said, no, let's not rock the boat. Um, this is, you know, a very difficult issue. Let's just not get involved, basically. Mm. And then I knew about this in kind of in my own story because I went to establish the facts of my pay over my own, you know, working life. I I started writing to the men that I'd worked alongside saying, I can understand that you might not want to divulge your pay details, but, you know, this has happened to us and we think there is a structural issue in play here and I need to ask. And you're totally at liberty. I completely understand if you don't want to talk about it, but I would really like to ask if you're prepared to share your pay details for this period when we work together or this period like that we're in now. And, you know, some men shared and other men didn't share. It's life. Some women share and other women don't share. I mean, I don't think it's right to get too, you know, self-righteous or aggrieved or indignant with men who don't share because we're all on a journey in this, aren't we? And, uh, you know, it's again, I've got a lot of advice for men in the book because I think men are often the powerful people in the workplace and men are the powerful people in the pay conversation. And if they get on board and help women, they can actually make change happen so much faster. Mm. And if they don't, they can block change mm. big time. And obviously for them, it's quite difficult because they don't see the problem because mm. they're not the yep. victim of yep. the problem. Yep. So it's it's available to them to pretend it's not happening. And that's I, I wrote the book for men, at least as much as for women, because I wanted to say, wake up, this is you, 
Uh, this is you in your workplace and the person you work next to. And this is also, you know, your mother, your daughter, you're everybody around you. And it's a case of justice and fairness. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Are you talking? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Talking there about, you know, men kind of being like, oh, I don't, it doesn't affect me, therefore I want to, stay out of it but how do you feel about this report that came out a couple of months ago which is that men now actively almost don't want to work with women they are me too the pay gap we've apparently scared them so much that they are terrified of mentoring us or supporting us or sponsoring us so that's obviously a shame if that happens and um men need to avoid doing that and think about it i think i think understanding helps um one of the things that happened to me when I went public, when I did write the open letter, it was in the Times newspaper on the morning when I was presenting the Today programme. It was quite a wild mm. day. And immediately one of the things that started happening, which was the wildest thing of all, was that I started to get hundreds of emails, messages of one kind, letters through the post, you know, in the post room at the BBC and at home um, from other women. Um, telling me about their stories. So I knew it was in workplaces up and down the country. But it wasn't just women. I, we, we counted them up before because I also did a parliamentary hearing where I had to give evidence on all of this because um, Parliament hauled the BBC in to give an account of itself. And um, so we counted up the letters in January 2018 and three-fifths of them were from women but two-fifths were from men. There are huge numbers of men out there who support women i was really impressed and actually throughout my fight again it's something to talk about at length is there's so many great men who came in to support us and stand shoulder to shoulder with us not necessarily always the ones who felt their pay might be affected by mm. the conversation you know your immediate male comparator as it's called in an equal pay issue but um but other men 
However, you know, I also do talk about the men who come in to stand alongside the comparators, the, the women who are fighting an equal pay case. And I think that's really interesting. And I want to get this point across as well, if I, if I can, that men are hugely important to this conversation. If a man can go in to the meeting room alongside a woman and sit alongside in the way that I was describing that senior women mm-hmm. did alongside junior women, if a man can go in and do that, that makes an amazingly powerful point. And particularly if that man is the actual male comparator of the women. Because mm. how these conversations go is uh, the woman says, look, my work is valuable. I do this and this. I have this experience. I have these skills. And I've been here for this long and I've been doing X, Y, Z. And... Um, and the boss and the HR person, if they want to fight this equal pay claim or equal pay conversation, they'll go, yeah, but the man X, Y, Z, he has this experience, he has that profile. All that, all those justifications and defences will come into play. If the man's sitting there and if the man just goes calmly, well, actually, she does the same job as me. She's as good as Game me changer. doing the same job as me. Then it moves the woman from square nine to square 90 on the snakes and ladders board. It is very hard for an employer to contest a woman's claim if the man that she is her comparator, her male peer, is saying, do you know what? Same job. It's just so powerful. And, it, and so I would really hope something I talk about again. I mean, there are men doing this, um, yeah. but not enough. Sorry, what about um, negotiating? Because there's a lot of conversation around the gender pay gap and about women having better negotiating skills. And Mm. I'm thinking about you when you were negotiating your £134,000 salary. You know, you seem to me as somebody who's confident, you knew, knew your worth. What do you do as a woman when, you know, you think you are confidently negotiating what is a really good salary, but then you realise that there's an awful lot of money still on the table because they've given that to somebody else? Like, what? Because I feel like it's one thing to negotiate mm. really hard, but if you knew there was another hundred grand up for grabs, like, you know, how would you, how, you know, how do you navigate knowing your worth that way? So, um, I think it's the important thing is to start from when you go into the workplace. So, I um, my message is to women as soon as they're starting their working lives and they need to start building the muscle, um, you know, and getting in training to do this because it's not so hard, I think, in your 20s and early 30s, but it drops off a cliff, your negotiating yeah. power, as soon as you, it becomes very difficult for women, obviously, as, as, as we all know, um, with the operation of the motherhood penalty when they become, you know, either parents or when their boss looks at them and says you're the age of a potential you know mm. of a potential parent and and the evidence is all out there i discuss it at length that the um you know the structural problem of this motherhood penalty which actually afflicts not just mothers but women who look as if they might become mothers mm. um so in answer to your question i think you have to be in training you have to know the risk is there you have to be vigilant all the way through your life get confident you know, we're so inhibited, a lot of us. Certainly I was. I didn't I didn't really have this conversation mm. until I went off to do that China job. I just assumed that the law would protect me, yeah. that my boss was an ethical, you know, my employer was ethical, that they wouldn't want to do this. I think I was too trusting of the protections that I might have as a result of an ethical workplace, the law on equal pay, um, and the fact that, you know, we're living in the 21st century. I just trusted too much. Um, and I really want to say to women, no, you can't afford to trust this environment. Your your boss may be ethical, but frankly, you know, there are all kinds of things about the pay structure that means it by its 
inbuilt bias, baked in bias of decades towards paying more men more often. And so start early, start as you mean to go on, try to add up all the things that, that add value to your work, try to make sure your boss knows them, always n- make sure a new boss has your CV and knows the full range of your experience and your skills and all that you can offer. Um, and then just keep going and, and make sure that your boss knows that equal pay matters to you. I mean, the law is there um, and and the law doesn't matter enough in our workplaces at the moment. I mean, you started, Harriet, by talking about the gender pay gap. I mean, two thirds of the gender pay gap in this country is unexplained. Mm. <laughs> and in some countries, I mean, the unexplained element of gender pay gap is enormous across all developed economies. And that is where the dirty secret of unequal pay is hiding I mean, I'm not saying it's the whole of... The, I'm not yeah. saying for a minute it's the whole of the unexplained pay gap, but I believe it's a it's a significant part. And so being confident, being assertive, knowing, your, knowing what you're contributing, making sure that the gender pay gap does not open up for you. We don't have a good enough cure at the moment. The law doesn't operate well enough. It's too expensive. I mean... This is something, again, when I contemplated, I, I, I believe I only won my case because I was determined to go to law at the end. Mm. And I think my employer felt, oh, my gosh, she is mad, bad and dangerous enough to actually <laughs> do this thing, despite the fact that it's career suicide often. It's financial yeah. suicide. I mean, it's because it's going to cost you so much to get to court. It's going to damage your mental health. Every woman I know who has gone to employment tribunal to fight this battle, yeah. has talked about the mental health damage it's cost them. So basically, mad, bad and dangerous to me equals badass. <laughs> and there's a point in, so chapter six in the book, um, you've got a, a piece here that talks about the art of war. Let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night, and when you move, fall like a thunderbolt. You were on the Today programme, your letters coming out in the Times. What the hell were you thinking at that moment? As in, were you like, <gasps> this is about to... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy 24 hours or so. In fact, mm-hmm. it was a crazy week um, because it was also the week that... It was the week that began with all of that that mm-hmm. you described. It was the week that ended with John Sopel and John Humphreys <laughs> kind of in that tape mm-hmm. and all, all that yeah. stuff going down. Um, on the night that I, um, you know, that I was planning the letter coming out and I was going to be presenting the Today programme the next day and then when I was going in to present the Today programme, I was like... Oh, what am I doing? I was in free fall. Yeah. Um, and yet, um, and yeah, I was proud of all of us. I was proud that I had not taken this nonsense lying down. Yeah. I was proud of all the women who were getting ready to stand behind me. Um, and um, Did other people know the thunderbolt was coming or were you the, you the only one that knew the thunderbolt? No, no, other women. I mean, when you, know, when you get a chance to read the book in, I do set it all out. Like the, there was, I had a group around me who mm-hmm. were, you know, close formation, Roman army tortoise, <laughs> all ready to go. And, um, and then the wider BBC women group. But, but even saying all that, so I had phenomenal support. I had a great lawyer. Mm. I had my union behind me. I had these amazing BBC women behind me. I had a lot of, um, you know, support from great men who wanted to help because they knew that women need help to do this. So I, and yet, and yet, it was a frightening and lonely thing to do Mm. in despite of all of that. And so I really feel for women who have to do it on their own, which is why I gave the money away to the Fawcett Society to yes. set up the Equal Pay Advice Service to provide free legal advice for women on in low-paid jobs without union support because I knew how terrifying and 
isolating and belittling and, uh, I mean, it's just, and gaslighting, you know, those experiences that are. But one thing I would say, that moment in the Today studio, just before the lights went green and we went to speak to the nation, me and John Humphreys for three hours of, you know, crazy radio, I felt very small. And then, and this is important, I think, for all women, um, I was I got lucky. The universe just just smiled at me because the prime minister was revamping her cabinet, bringing in more women, and so there was a kind of the the top news story was about you know refreshing what they described as a pale male stale cabinet. The second story was the Golden Globes, and there was a clip of Oprah mm. Winfrey, and she was going you know in her absolute inimitable powerful voice you know times up. Yeah. You know, speak your truth. And it was just like, I was sitting there feeling small in that studio. And it's like, oh, yeah. thank you, Oprah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this thing. Yeah. And so that thing about, you know, listening to an inspiring role model, female role model, when you as a woman are about to do something which is terrifying, listening to somebody who gives you strength uh, just before you go do that thing, I think it's very helpful and we should all do it. <laughs> I love it. Carrie, listening You're to crying. you is just... I am. I'm actually emotional about that. I get emotional when I think incredible women stand up for other women mm. and change the world for all of us. And I do get very emotional about that. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to apologise for that. <laughs> Carrie, your book Equal is out now. It is all about this and the things you've learned since. Um, if there is one lesson from the book that you could give to our audience today, what would it be? Don't beat yourself up because you didn't start already. Start now. And don't beat yourself up if you don't get it right immediately. Because if you stand up for yourself, even in a little small way, by saying to your boss, you know, sometime this year I'd like to have a conversation about pay, even if you just do that, and even if the conversation doesn't go right, and even if you think you didn't handle it right, you're already doing something. And you're doing something for you. You're doing something for the women around you. You're doing something to honour the women who came before you and you're doing something on behalf of all the women who come after you. So be proud of whatever the thing is that you can do, the smallest thing, even if you're just thinking about it, even if you're just writing it down to yourself that at some point you're going to do it, even if it's not today, this week, this year, make a start. Carrie Gracie, thank you so much for joining us on Badass Women's Hour. You are everything we wanted you to be. You are our absolute heroine. Thank you so much for coming in. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 